on my newest episode of the show. Rachel, I'm super excited to have you. Uh, you're actually my first like MC host analyst. I'm not really sure what title you go with because you've got so many. You wear so many hats. Um, well, thanks for having me. Yeah, usually uh, when I, I write my Twitter bio, it says uh, esports host and interviewer. So I do like I always describe it to my family who doesn't know what esports is. Is I'm Ryan Seacrest. You know, I come out and I welcome you to the show and I introduce the sponsors and I bring people out on stage and I, I interview the players uh, before and after the matches, talk about their games. And uh, yeah, that's that's mostly been my content for the last couple of years. And um, let's take it all the way back, though, because I, I have a oh. feeling you've been <laughs> all the way back. Um, I have a feeling you've been playing games for most of your life. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong. No, absolutely. Uh, I feel extremely fortunate. When I was young, I grew up in like central Jersey and uh, my parents were really cool about bringing technology and video games in the house. Uh, my mom was taking like these night classes, doing computer stuff, and uh, she brought home all these floppy disks and in them were these games. So she would sit at the computer and play the games and I would stand behind her and I would yell at her. <laughs> and uh, I mean, those are some of my best memories. I ended up bringing home like Nintendo 64 and, and PlayStation 1 and... Uh, yeah, it, it, we've had them in the house ever since. They've kind of been like as background as as books and movies and everything else. And, and what if you had to like pick some games that really colored your childhood, really you know kept you interested? What would you say they are? Gosh, the first one my mom played on the floppy disk was a game called Crystal Caves. It was like a Mario, <laughs> and it was it was great. It was terrifying. There were snakes and jewels and gems to pick up, and then we were very into this like two D platformer. Um, when we got Mar, uh, we got a Nintendo, my parents would play Mario Kart with us. And that was really, really fun. That was like one of the few times, like my family all got together and played and Mario party came out and we would always have kids over from the neighborhood. So that was like a really like a social nexus. And then different from that was the PlayStation, the PlayStation. I just remember coming home from school and like cranking on my parents' old radio and walking down to the, in the basement where it all was kept. And, like, sitting on the couch and just grinding out. I played a lot of Spyro. I played... I would go into, like, the game stores and, like, buy, like, the most, like, adorable anime cover, like, JRPG games. And, like, they would be terrible and broken, but I would play the crap out of them. Um, and, oh, what? Monster Rancher 2. That was <laughs> foundational. That was the one where you would pop... You would go to the shrine in the game and you would pop the PlayStation open and put in literally any CD ever. And the... It would read to the disc, and then you'd open it back up, and you'd put Monster Enter back, and you'd close it, and it would spawn a random monster. So I just had legal pads, like, stacks and stacks of, of sheets of paper with, like, Backstreet Boys gives me, like, Tiger of the Wind, and, like, the AOL CD I got in the mail, you know, on this date gives me, like, I was a weirdo. Because there was no internet back then. There was nowhere you can go check and, like, compare your information on video games, so... I don't know. I spent a lot of time doing that. <laughs> Game FAQs was like uh, was amazing for the time, like that it finally came. But before that, you know, everybody really it was it was those cheap books or just your friends who played or you just writing everything down. Like honestly, absolutely. And I I, saw, I read in, in an interview that you did was one of the things that your parents would let you do is compete in like Pokemon trading card game um, competitions when you were younger at Toys R Us. Oh yeah, that was a great, that's a great memory for me because back in the day when Pokemon came out, they had this partnership with Toys R Us where they would send like a little workbook and like little lacquered badges and like special card releases to Toys R Us, and two hours every Sunday or something they would have Pokemon League, where it was basically like a you could just drop your kids off and they'd all play Pokemon against each other, and it was so fun. Like you know, you play the card game, you play the video game, like 
we would run brackets, we'd run round robins. And I just remember like trashing kids, like children, just destroying them. <laughs> One parent being like, will you please let my son win? And I'm being like, no, like how, what a terrible question. <laughs> Letting you win. No, <laughs> I was very, I was very serious about Pokemon. Well, I am very serious about Pokemon. Right. I'm right there with you. Um, it's like, it's like a love that never really goes away. Um, but- it's a whole universe, like as vast as Tolkien, as, as wide as Star Wars and, and with way more marketability. <laughs> right. I would you say that uh, your time competing, even when you were a kid playing Pokemon at Toys R Us, do you think that that's kind of what motivated you to compete when you got older in games? Yeah, I would definitely say like it was I, I wrap my early gaming stuff really tightly with my early like anime fandom and how aggressively I pursued like, you know, when you think of like gatekeeping, like I'm a real anime nerd because I watch the subtitles and not the dubs. Like I was that aggressive. <laughs> so, like I was always trying to get people to watch anime with me and like go into conventions. And like, I, you know, when I got on the Internet, that was a lot of, you know, cosplay.com and fansview.com, like, you know, trying to get as deep into the scene as I could. And um, a lot of a lot of those strategies, a lot of the the passion that drove me into anime was the same, you know, feeling passion that that drove me into video games. Um, I'd always connected with like friends over the years playing video games, but then uh, when I found out that there was an opportunity to keep competing in video games online with uh, leagues like TWL and and Cal and Sevo uh, back in the day, and and still now, um, I I just dove right into it because it's like, oh, here's a contest for who's the biggest nerd, and I was like, I am absolutely going to win this contest and that's when i found out like no there's bigger nerds who are way better at things out there and that was like the the creaking open of the giant door to esports what would you say the first game that drew you into esports as a competitive scene was that's a tough one the way i kind of uh got into well actually i can answer that very well uh, I started playing, I think, Battlefield 2 with, uh, I met this guy in high school, Trevor. We've been together for 14 years now, and both of us were just like, we love competitive video games. He now, you know, works at, at Blizzard on, on uh, Overwatch um, as, like, in the esports department, and I currently, you know, do what I do because we've sort of just been leapfrogging each other with these passion projects in the scene. But he and I uh, started playing Battlefield, and we'd go to these little local events and they would be events that, um, you know, steel series would sponsor a booth at and NVIDIA would sponsor a booth at, and they would say, Hey, you know, first 10 people to our booth, we're going to play, you know, whatever the new beta releases, we're going to play, you know, battlefield two at our booth and the winner gets a headset. And so he and I would go around to these events and these small little like tournaments and we would farm equipment. We'd farm video cards and, and headsets. And so we would get ourselves like a whole lot of really new computer equipment and, um, try and keep up with the games that they would be having at these booths. So we decided Team Fortress 2 was going to be the next big thing. It had just come out in beta. I think this was like 2006 or 2007. And uh, we ended up, you know, playing Team Fortress 2 to be good at these events and then meeting other people who wanted to play competitive Team Fortress 2. I joined PMS Clan, which was is, is an all-girl gaming clan. It's been, wow, more than a decade. Um and that was our competitive community. That's where we found the people, we found the uh, other players to compete with us. Um, we joined under the PMS banner. PMS would send us around. I actually like got all the way up to California in 2008 to compete in InVision, which was this NVIDIA event. And it was it was like a huge opportunity. You know, what other high school or what other like early college kid got to travel like that and, and play video games and meet these people that they met online. So it definitely got its hooks in me right from there. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's so funny that you bring up um, the PMS clan. And it, when I was in college, like five or six years ago, I actually was on a League of Legends competitive team that only ever practiced. We never competed at all. Um, <laughs> but but that was my my personal, my first experience with like competitive gaming and, and joining in a community that centered around it. And it was an, a fantastic experience and my limited experience with them. So it's amazing to hear other people who were in the same clan who had such great success. I really think uh, PMS Clan has been instrumental in the growth of this whole esports, entertainment, gaming industry. You know, it was Amy and Amber, these these beautiful blonde bombshell twins who put this clan together years ago. It would feed into Fragdolls, who was Ubisoft's, you know, 10-year-plus uh, gaming clan. I was also an alumnus of that, and that was, you know, so cool and wild and historical to be a part of. But I always meet PMS Clan. I mean, it's lovely to meet you here in this conversation because... So many people that work at companies like Intel that work behind the scenes at Twitch and ESL, like PMS clan is everywhere. It was a a phenomenal like internship, you know, where you got to try on being a pro player. You got to try on working at a booth at an event. You got to try on all these different roles in the industry through PMS. And it really empowered a lot of people, I think. Absolutely. And so you talked about Fragdolls um, or you mentioned Fragdolls. Can you talk about how your time with PMS morphed into Fragdolls and what you did with them? Oh, sure. Um, when I when I joined like PMS clan, Fragdolls was, you know, PMS clan was getting some coverage even on like TV and in like Inquest magazine, a lot of like gaming culture. You know, they're very excited about like the, the pretty women that they could advertise. And then the Fragdolls was like, okay, and here's the competitive team coming out in Rainbow Six. Like they're going to be awesome. And they were. And they were these badasses who gave these great interviews and and. I don't know. It was so aspirational that before I was really a competitor, when I was still like messing around at these events, I would write papers about um, the women of the Fragdolls, the women in PMS clan, uh, the women competing in championship gaming series like Cat Gun and Vanessa Ortega. Uh, this was the time of like Toss Girl playing, you know, Brood War matches. Um, I, I was so fascinated by these women in the space. And it was my interest in interviewing PMS clan that got me invited to join PMS clan. And then, uh, uh, it's Amy of PMS Clan who actually went on to join the Frag Dolls as well. So we, I think in PMS, I don't know if it was the case when you were a part of it, uh, really looked at like Frag Dolls as like the big sister, like aspirational, like career version of what we were doing. And so Frag Dolls had, so, they had so many casting calls and I tried out, I tried out so many times <laughs> and every time they even had like a cadet, like you weren't even going to be a Frag Doll, you were going to be like a, a Frag Doll helper and they still didn't accept me. And I was like, okay, well, I still love this space and I love these women and I'm going to keep working at it. And then I was so excited. I think it was 2015 when they reached out to me and they were like, would you like to be a fractal? Would you want an audition? And I was like, there is literally nothing more in this damn industry that I would like. <laughs> so it's, you know, like uh, it's, it's hard to be told no, but it's, it's some of the, the, the best thing for your career to be told no, because it just makes you work harder. Or makes you change where you put your energy. Absolutely. Um, And and how long did you compete in tournaments for? Do you still compete now? Uh, No, I definitely. So my my tournament life of a very final end, and that was uh, I competed on a show called WCG Ultimate Gamer in 2010. And I was on this show. It was really cool. It was something sci-fi did. Uh, I was on season two. They had already done a season one. And what they would do is you would compete in a video game. Uh, and then you would do like a real life version of the video game and they would add up your score. And then like the top person got to pick who would go against the lowest person. And I loved it because I don't think there's still been a TV show to date where 
your winning or losing is based entirely on like a score. It's not on a judge being like, well, I like you better. Like <laughs> we really had to win. And so I was on this show with Justin Wong, who is like an incredible gamer in every fighting game he touches. I was there with, with Kat Gunn, who had come from championship gaming series and Vanessa Ortega, who had been phenomenal gamers and like on a broadcast doing it on a big stage for years. And lots of other people were part of this uh, CDN. Uh, he's a really popular Twitch streamer now. He was on the show you know, uh, CSGO pros, everything. And I looked around and I would watch how, you know, they'd say, okay, your game this week is Tekken. And Justin would open up the game box and he would look at the, read the whole booklet in the front of the, the game before he would even turn it on. And meanwhile, like I'm starting it up, I'm skipping through all the dialogue, I'm messing <laughs> around with everything. Like watching, watching professional gamers approach a video game and watching myself and what I naturally did. If I'm not naturally good at something, I, I typically don't like to do it. I'm little fussy that way and I just was like shit I'm not good like these guys are so good I'm not good and uh what I really did find a gift for over the course of that show and and what I was supported for after that though they were like well Rachel you were really good at narrating what was going on you were really good at describing to us you know what the gamers were thinking and and how they were approaching things and putting it into words that they would then you know use for you know, the commercial segues in the show. And so I was like, oh, well, you know, I, that's something I can do that. I maybe can't be the top tier gamer, but I can facilitate the rest of the world understanding how cool the top tier gamer is. And so that's sort of been like the focus of, of what I've wanted to do for these last couple of years. And through that discovery on that show, can you talk about how you launched yourself into what you're currently doing? And because and, you are on the stage with uh, for games like Overwatch, StarCraft, like you you've done like huge game, like you're on the stage with huge games, um, analyzing, hosting, um, and I think a lot of people would love to find themselves also in that position. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I mean, one of the biggest things has to be, you know, I have had an amazing manager over these last eight years, and the story of how I met him is, you know, I, I had been in New York City, I had been. Um, doing these, you know, scrappy little game things uh, for Samsung. And I was doing them alongside a caster, Rivington, who now is a caster for League of Legends. And also we had a Golden Boy at the time who would show up. Like a lot of the people that you see today on stages, we have sort of been in it for, for a long, long time, for more than 10 years, just kind of like trying to be there. Like not so much worried about getting paid or making a lifestyle out of it, just trying to, to be there and understand how it works. And it's honestly been, been such a great fortune that, that that has been able to translate into a career for all of us because I, I, th I feel like I, I, it's just putting yourself out there over and over again, like making quality friends and, and making relationships based on like putting the work in and being able to trust each other. Uh, what happened was uh, my manager, Andrew at the time was trying to create a, a esports coverage show and he hired Rivington to do an interview for him. And Rivington went and did this interview, but uh, something the audio screwed up and it, and it wouldn't work out. But Andrew was such an upstanding guy. He was like, well, I, you know, I asked you to do it. You did it. I'm going to pay you. And that was unheard of 12 years ago. So Andrew presented himself out of nowhere as this really, you know, together business guy. Rivington was uh, so impressed by Andrew, but also like felt really bad about his interview. He was like, well, I, I don't think I can work with you in the future, but you should check out my friend Rachel. And so, you know, Andrew hit me up and I was like, OK, I'll try and do some coverage with you. Well, it was his 21st birthday. I met him in person for the very first time at an MLG in Dallas. And I was like, what's up boss. <laughs> and and that was, that was the start of it. Um, between the two of us, like making friends, you know, telling people what we were capable of doing, telling people what we wanted to do 
and how much it would cost, you know, like we want to go and, and cover Starcraft in Korea. It'll cost X amount of money. And people are like, I never thought of that before. I didn't know anyone was capable of doing that, but you guys seem really together. So here's the money, make it happen. Um, it's, it's been a large part to Andrew and a large part to just, you know, going to every event, trying my hardest, making a really good impression, making it easy to work with me. And uh, really just trying to bring, like, my authentic love to the game. Like, I, I really feel my best when I finish a show and somebody is like, damn, you you really love this, don't you? And I'm like, you're damn right I do. Like, I hope that comes through. And as, oh, along with many other roles and the esports industry in general, it's kind of been an evolving beast. I mean, you've been involved really pretty prominently for at least the last decade. Um, can you speak a little bit about the ways that you've seen it change as things like twitch have come onto the scene which i or twitch justin azubu whatever iteration of streaming that you want to talk about but um i, I can imagine that it's just changed dramatically now i'll give i'll give full credit to justin tv and twitch there and uh, really like slightly before that i think mlg tv was also making some headway here but uh, what really changed the game for esports was the, the ability to broadcast. It, it changed my role at events. I went from walking around the floor, interviewing and posting those videos to YouTube to being the conduit between the, the live experience and the broadcast experience, which is what I see my role as now. You know, I'm, I'm translating for the people online what's happening, you know, in the venue, um, you know, from the crowd to the players, to the, the stakes of the game, to everything. Um, and that's all because we now have this platform that, you know, that the broadcast exists upon. So Twitch is enabling events to make money. Twitch is enabling individual personalities to make money. Anything that, that can fuel like funds into the scene has been, you know, what's affected us most. Uh, I think when you see uh, like LCS and now OWL, the League of Legends League and the, the Overwatch League, um, that has really changed the game once again, where it's not since championship gaming series, it's not since, you know, the world cyber games that we had huge sponsors, you know, that weren't Doritos and Mountain Dew, but they were Samsung and their T-Mobile coming in and taking interest again. So I I was just having this conversation with a friend where it doesn't feel so much as like a, like a a new peak for the esports industry as like it's emerging from a dark age and finally being recognized for like how cool it was. Cause this definitely existed years ago. Esports was on TV. You know, we had teams that paid players. We had, you know, superstars. We have people like fatality who still has his name, all of our hard drives and keyboards. We just now have an audience. Absolutely. And, and um, I spoke with Chris Hopper, who is head of uh, the North American esports at Riot um, a couple of weeks ago, or kind of at the beginning of Worlds, about the venue, like the, like actual comp- comp- like the actual matches, where they're held, the, the, the extravagance really of putting them on. Um, can, can you talk about the way that, or just your experience with hosting now that venues like Madison Square Garden and the Staples Center are being filled to capacity um, compared to, you know, 10 years ago. Oh, yeah. His, his point is absolutely correct. Like the change of venue has brought about a different level of respect. Um, when I used to go to events, it was in the conference room of a Marriott. Like it, it was always like, you know, the, the, the tables and chairs were pushed to the side and people brought their own, you know, CRTVs and put them on the table and uh, you know, you would roll up with your own console and your own cables to, to make it happen. And so it was hard for anyone to walk into a room like that and take it seriously. It looked like a bunch of people at play, um, which is what it was, but it wasn't very marketable. We we actually kind of saw, 
you know, this scene kind of trying to adjust for what is right for esports versus what is right for marketability and sponsorship. Uh, famously for for Counter Strike Source, uh, everyone was playing Counter Strike 1.6 competitively. That was the best competitive game. People loved it. But then Counter Strike Source came out. It looked nicer. It was fancier, but it wasn't as balanced competitively. But all the sponsors said, well, I make a really nice monitor. I make a really nice video card. I want you playing the game that shows off my product. And so half the scene says, oh, I'm going to stay with 1.6 purity. And half the scene says, I'm going to chase source money, which, you know, it's the only money in the scene. You still have to respect that choice. That kind of created a little bit one of those dark ages of esports. Um, now things are a little bit more balanced where, you know, people are trying to run the high end games. They've got the high end sponsors. Uh, we're still kind of like, I, I'm always picturing like a toddler, like trying to like fit two large puzzle pieces together. Like we've <laughs> almost got it. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the biggest change now is how vocal the community is. Twitch chat and Twitter and Reddit, um, then making their voices heard. Uh, I think are really helping to shape things. There's also a lot of um, voices I feel in the game now that aren't really, um, they're not directly related to gaming. They're people that have a vested interest or just an interest in gaming. Like you see, we're seeing a lot of sports teams um, in like the uh, LCS have uh, in the last couple of years have um, chosen to franchise um, Overwatch League 2. And then also recently you hosted an event that I think is called Stand Up to Cancer, where part of the lineup, yeah. part of the lineup was like Katie Couric and Reese Witherspoon. Can you just talk about that aspect? I can't even imagine what it's like to be make everybody comfortable and cohesive as a host when some of those people aren't really comfortable with games or, or are knowledgeable about games. Yeah, the uh, Stand Up to Cancer event like was one of those really cool opportunities where you finally see some gaming talent getting recognized by the mainstream. That was an event that um, it was a, it was a larger TV event. It was actually a huge agreement between all these networks on television to air this uh, stand up to cancer telethon uh, at the same time. So it was, I think I'm like CBS and NBC and Fox and, and every channel. Uh, and then this year they opened it up to Twitch. So Twitch brought out Markiplier and Pokimane, who are two of the biggest names on, you know, internet content creation mm-hmm. And we just had a, a quick little second where, you know, the, the TV popped over to us and I got to introduce them. But the rest of the time they were broadcasting Fortnite and we were interviewing um, other big personalities who were involved in Stand Up to Cancer for the Twitch stream. So it, it, it was really cool to be like to feel like Twitch and its gaming platform and its gaming personalities were being included and, and welcomed and celebrated by all these other networks. Um, I, it's not often that the gaming kind of gets that respect. I'm hoping that we continue seeing that more um, just as esports as an industry and the video game as an industry has continues to garner more respect in whatever way that may be. I can definitely say that having worked with a, like a, I worked with TBS for E-League. I worked with NBC uh, sports for Rocket League and I've had several friends and, and uh, peers in my agency working. You know, Golden Boy just did, uh, he recorded the Titan Games with The Rock that's going to be on CBS. Uh, every time our esports talent goes out into the television, you know, Hollywood uh, movie space, we are, feel, we feel so much appreciation for, you know, I, I always say we're forged in the fires of esports. Like, I'll get my own cup of water. I'll check on the the tech guys. I'm not ever going to have a diva fit or scream at anybody. Like I'll work the extra hours because Hearthstone games have run 17 hours. Like, you know, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm committed to the project and 
I finished a, a day at NBC and I came out of the room and these, you know, grown dudes who work at, you know, NBC sports were like, wow, none of our talent would have done that. I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, they would have thrown a fit if they had to stay and read those extra lines after the day you had. And I'm like, who are these people? We're not angry. So you know, it's, it's not that just that we're, we're nice to work with, but you know, people who have come up from esports, I think are, are so used to just like pulling together a live show. No one else really does, you know, 10 hours, nine hours, 12 hours of, of live content off the top of their head, pulling from their own expertise. You don't even see that on sports shows. Those casters are still being fed items, fed stats, so I really think, you know, now as the the esports trained content forces hit the mainstream, we're going to see awesome stuff everywhere. So you mentioned earlier that um, you've had the opportunity to travel overseas and spend time in other countries where esports is popular, like South Korea. Uh, can you compare the your experiences with the different esports markets? Uh, when I was doing esports coverage abroad and, and when I still travel and do it, um, I think one of the coolest things I experience is that whether I'm in South Korea, whether I'm in Germany, whether I'm in Sweden, you know, whether I'm somewhere in the United States or Canada, and, you know, I, I hope to travel to other places with esports, anywhere, you know, in, in Japan and Taiwan that we've gone, uh, in China. If you're an esports fan, if you love video games, we have so many things that we get along on that I'm always so happy when I end an event and I'm sitting around a dinner table you know, sharing a couple of drinks with brand new faces, laughing over, you know, the same understandings and the same situations and speaking a language of video games, even if we don't speak the same, you know, born language. I, I think that video games have the power to, to heal the world and to bring so many people together. And uh, I, I would say I see a thousand more different, uh, more similarities than I've ever seen differences in, in gaming populations. I think the only weird stat I can think of, though, is that somebody told me that when they sell the tickets for Overwatch League in South Korea or for any Overwatch events, mm -hmm. it's like a 90% female audience. Have you ever heard that? I actually have heard that. And it's kind of like there are people that follow the these competitive players who are like idolized in the same way that you see like K-pop singers and groups idolized. So... I actually read an article on this not that long ago, um, but it is very odd. I couldn't, I, I mean, I wish that we could have like a 90% split <laughs> at one event that were, you know, is one esports event. Um, yeah. I don't know what game we're going to, we should, we should pick Call of Duty. That's yeah. going to be the game all the chicks show up for next year. Are you ready? I actually would prefer Overwatch. <laughs> All right, we can do Overwatch. <laughs> but um, I love. I think it's exactly what you said, though, where they make that really cute, interesting uh, content about people. I feel like esports, if anything, if there's anything it needs to fix, it needs to show me more personality right. alongside how many statistics and strategies and analyses it tries to show me. Right. I, personally, I started following competitive gaming like in, in like 2010 with League of Legends, and I remember following TSM team solo mid really closely oh, yeah. and it was like rain man was their top and he had a really big personality. Um, it was like before Dyrus was top. And, and for me, what really drew me in and kept me watching and tuning into all the streams was the personalities and how they played together, how they interacted. Cause they were all in one house. It was like, it was like a, an unedited like reality TV show, I guess is kind of what it felt like. 
Yeah, I think, uh, you know, League of Legends has done some really great work as far as, you know, expanding on the personalities. Like they had that Rise music video that came out this year before Worlds. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. And then somebody told me, yeah, every fight in there is based on a major fight from the season that was really pivotally important. I was like, you're blowing my mind right now, dude. Like I watched six more times. Like it's it's so cool what you can do when you have people that are genuinely you know who love esports who love these personalities you know working to tell their stories you you cover a lot of different games you said earlier rocket league um you've done counter-strike overwatch hearthstone like those are all games very very different genres of games might as well be different countries um and the types of people that enjoy them and the communities uh how do you balance the changes in each community that you are dedicated to covering and you enjoy? I think uh, a lot of it, like, and and this is something I talk about with a lot of, you know, new talent that come into to CSA. They're like, hey, I've done a lot of this game and all of a sudden I've got to do that game. What do I do? And it's, you know, the most important thing is you've got to respect that community. You've got to, you've got to feel like the job is important enough where you want to go in there and you're like, all right, let me read the Reddit threads. Let me get a sense of what the, the current discussions are. Let me make sure there's no like spicy memes that I accidentally stepped in. Like if I say like alt four and like I, I, you know, whoa, the chat blows up. Like, what did I do? So, you know, it's half of it is like a really, you know, clinical scientific approach where I'm like, let me make sure I know what's good. I know what's bad. I know, you know, who is important to, you know, what the storylines are. Like it's a lot of research every time uh, any one of us takes on a new game. And then the other part of it is really, this is where I say it's so important when you hire people who have a lot of live hosting experience. You know, a lot of times like companies will come in and hire like a YouTuber who has a big following or, or someone who's been doing Twitch broadcasts, you know, from home who maybe hasn't stood on a stage before. You have to really be a sponge for the energy in the room. You have to sense, you know, if a, a player is, is sad or a player is elated, like you kind of have to have this empathy where you're always supporting the players on the stage. Like I'm the fall guy. I'm the janitor. Like if he falls down, I have to fall down in a stupider way to be like, who couldn't move buddy. Like you, it's half dancing on your feet and then half accessing all this knowledge that you've been studying. But uh, a lot of it's just respect, respecting the people that you're, you're telling the stories of respecting the, the, the effort that went into their gameplay and uh, respecting the time too of everyone on set, the camera guys, the directors, the, the team managers, um, once you, you kind of get in there and can kind of soak up the vibe of everyone, I feel like it, it becomes really easy to let the story kind of flow through me. You brought up CSA. And so you have a lot of responsibilities off screen, um, with CSA, with recruiting, um, and training. Can you talk about what CSA is and, and really what you're doing, you know, off the screen? Sure. Um, CSA is, it's cyber solutions agency and it's sort of what, came out of, you know, what Andrew wanted to do when he hired me early on. And, and we're, we're a cyber solutions agency. We, we just try and provide solutions for the esports space. And over the last 10 years, that has meant a lot of different things, whether it's been, you know, designing and producing content or whether it's been managing pro players or, or getting visas for foreign players or, you know, arranging long-term contracts for talent that maybe, you know, don't end up working with us going forward, but it's like, sweet with sailing, buddy. Like, it's it's been so many different things over the years, but what we've finally kind of become right now in, in the last, like, two or three has been this talent agency that um, is, is just figuring out what every individual needs within the agency and trying to care for them and also 
trying to figure out what our esports industry still needs and and to cater for that. So in the same way that I feel like I have to be really nimble on the stage, you know, my my agent Andrew and and my other manager Kurt, like the two of them, the things that they're capable of doing and and supporting on so many different vectors blows my mind. But what I do is I support them. I help onboard new talent for CSA. Um, I get them a, a sizzle reel when they join up, which is like a, a cut together video of all their highlights. Um, I usually, you know, share with them, you know, some, uh, what is it? We have a bunch of forms they have to fill out so we can get their bio and their headshots, all the the paperwork stuff. I'm a glorified secretary in my office. <laughs> That's what I do. Uh, but, and then, and then just really like we, it sounds so cheesy to say that we have like a family atmosphere, but I really do love the fact that like some of our oldest members are, you know, my oldest, longest, best friends. We've got Golden Boy and we've got Sue and we've got Anna Prosser on board. And then we've been able to reach out to like a lot of other top tier people in the industry because they've seen how well we're taken care of. And now that, you know, we kind of have us, you know, figuring out the, the, the OG kind of boring stuff. Now we can onboard a lot of young people and, and bring them up to speed really quickly. So we've got a lot of like the really new talent in the space that is so eager and so inspiring. <laughs> and we're still, I mean, we get calls for all sorts of stuff. I got to do an Amazon commercial. We got to do a hair commercial. We've sent people off for like, you know, a year to, to go live in another country to host for them. Um, wow. We're, we're a dream machine. You, you just come up to us and you whisper in your wishes and, and sometimes we can grant them. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that that's amazing though. Um because I'm sure it's nice to work with young excited people who who are looking to make an impression in in the scene. Your cat is inspiring me. She is. I love your cat. Absolutely ridiculous. What do you want, kitty? <laughs> she just got to settle back in. Yeah, it, it um when I think about one of the most exciting things I think for the future of esports is all the new talent that I'm personally really excited to help onboard. Um, we have, you know, I'm, I'm, I have my, my gamers choice TV votes up here. So I'm sorry. I have like golden boy and like machines face like flashing by me, but they just uh, also made me think of like golden boy reached out and really like when he was working for Twitch, like assembled the rocket league caster community. Wow. Like he found and identified and, and enabled those people. And, and, that's something that through CSA like has been a dream of mine to do, which is, you know, I, I came in when you had to be good at everything and now you just have to be a good host. So let me find you good hosts out there. You don't have to do the chores. You don't have to do the bullshit. We're going to, you know, give you all the tools you need and go and make, you know, esports fantastic. Uh, you know, I, I feel like I've, I've got my skills that I've earned over a couple of years, but to see the people coming in today with the skills already in their tool set, I'm like, holy shit, you've surpassed me. Just... <laughs> Just run here. Take my money. Go. <laughs> Is there anything that you're going to be working on um, soon? I know that you said you just finished up with TwitchCon and BlizzCon, which kept you super busy. Um, but it, I wasn't sure if you had anything on the slate for um, early next year. Uh, let's see. Early next year. It's kind of like the quiet time between. Let's see. <laughs> we were just joking about this that. TwitchCon and BlizzCon have ended. Mm-hmm. Now we're into award show season, which is the November, December. And then uh, January and February are really pretty quiet. Uh, a lot of the year for hosts, especially as freelance, is divided up into the quarters. And so, like, this is, like, the big Christmas quarter where everyone's trying to sell all their stuff. So we'll get a lot of last-minute calls for commercials or promotions or, or one-off events. But uh, January and February are going to be pretty quiet. I know uh, Overwatch League doesn't start up until February 14th, so we have some talent going off there. 
Um, I think all the uh, GDC and Penny Arcade Expo, mm-hmm. that's on my list. And that comes in, you know, mid-February, early March. Mm-hmm. So it'll be it'll be just another year of the same stuff I'm expecting. But 2019 should be interesting. I mean, the economy has been a little weird. It's been like a great <laughs> year for gaming, but also like some of the titans of gaming are maybe not doing so super like... I think it's 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 going to be another wild ride, and I'm, I'm glad to be an adaptable esports person for it. I'm very excited to see, especially as um, major franchises like Overwatch League and, and the League of Legends Championship Series, and even Rocket League. The 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 Rocket League scene is is just exploding. Um, so I'm excited to see what continues to grow and what pops up that we're not expecting. Yeah, I think there's so much room here for for mobile titles to come out, for uh, some games to have some unexpected success, and you know. The, the old titans are still around, too. Mm-hmm. Is uh, And where can people find you at online if they wanted to follow you on social media? Sure. You guys can keep up with my adventures at uh, twitter.com slash seltzer, please. Seltzer like the drink. Please like the request. And I'm on Instagram, too. So I try and put some different content on both. You know what I mean? But it's just me, video games, and cats. <laughs> Sounds just like mine. Um, oh, and, dream. and do you do you stream on Twitch as well regularly? Uh, I don't often stream on Twitch. I do have my own channel. It's twitch.tv slash seltzer. But where, where you're more likely to find me is probably on twitch.tv slash twitch. I frequently host uh, Twitch at Penny Arcade Expo, Twitch at events like E3, um, and a lot of one-off stuff for them. Wonderful. And I'll have links to all of that information in my show notes on cakebites.com. Ah. Um, and I'm so excited. Thank you so much for coming in. Um, coming in like you're at my house. Um, <laughs> coming on and joining me for the newest episode of the show. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was a lovely experience and I wish you all the success in the future. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I'll have show notes for today's episode up on cakebites.com. Don't forget to like and follow the show on social media so you can keep up with updates as well as on Twitch so you can get updates when I finally go live and... Yeah, I think that's everything. See y'all next time.